You're listening to the Screeners Podcast Network. From the big screen to the small screen and everything in between, this is the Screeners Podcast, where all media is appreciated, but none is safe. Welcome again to another episode of the Screeners Podcast. I'm April. This is Chad. And I'm Daniel. And we've got a fun episode for you today as we are going to be reviewing the new Fast and Furious spinoff, Hobbs and Shaw. And we've got our top three actor duos coming up a little bit later. Before we do that, I just want to remind everyone to check out our social media channels. You can search ScreenersCast at ScreenersCast on Twitter or the Screeners Podcast on Facebook. Or if you just want to go old traditional way, you can email us at ScreenersCast at Gmail. Dot com. Uh, before we dive into our review of Hobbs and Shaw, we got an interesting email from a friend of our podcast, Chad Madden, recently, who brought up an interesting topic I think we should talk about. He said, hey guys, so this is kind of old news, but wanted to get your thoughts. Sonic the Hedgehog is supposed to be released this November. The trailer dropped and just about everyone on social media was pretty negative and outraged from the design of Sonic. I love Sonic. I have a great connection as it was my first video game I ever got. He continues, Do you guys feel that fans and social pressure is justified in making studios completely alter projects for their sake? Lots of money and time went into the making, and then they have to redo it on a time crunch and even risk losing money in the process. The director heard the cries and wants to make fans happy, but there's complications and when it comes to the world and the story they've built it on. Changing a character can also completely change the movie. What do you guys think? Should studios or companies bow down to social pressure? Chad. Chad the Chad Madden, not Chad Chad. (laughs) (laughs) Two Chads. Uh, yeah, what do you guys think? Do you think do you think studios should bow down to social pressure online? Thoughts? I mean the 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 very simple answer is no, but I don't think it's as simple as that. I mean, should studios or companies bow down to social pressure? No. But I think when you're working within, like in this specific scenario, you're working within an established IP, an established character, their kind of big live action debut. I do think there's an element of the the fans need to be happy to a Mm. certain extent. Hear me very clearly. I'm saying to a certain extent, fans need to be happy. Well, I, I, because I, I, you can also point to the negative version of this with the Last Jedi, where fans are just um, basically trolling directors and actors. But I, I mean, Sonic looked terrible, and I don't think redesigning the character is going to fix that. But he, the character himself, did look terrible. So I, I think redesigning him to um, to look a little bit more like the character, I think, is not a not a bad thing. So I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of mixed. I'm kind of on both sides of this thing. What do you think, Chad? Well, I, I think fans are always within their right to voice their pleasure or their displeasure. Yeah. Although on the internet these days, it's almost always displeasure. Certainly <laughs> around things that are beloved, whether it's my Star Wars or my Sonic or mm. whatever. Everybody has this possessive uh, thought about their uh, their IP but I also think that studios have every right to tell them to jump in a creek so <laughs> mm-hmm. especially when you're dealing with scenarios like this which in a live action CGI kind of uh, environment recreating the central character is a very costly and time consuming thing and yeah. rushing it may actually make it worse than it was before I do agree from a very surface level that 
when a trailer comes out, people are going to react. I mean, there's an entire cottage industry around trailer reactions, for goodness mm-hmm. sakes. Um, and if the overall response to the community, which I think is pretty niche for a film like this anyway, is negative, then I think filmmakers should pay attention. But the yeah. idea and, and the question is posited to us was, should studios? My answer is no. I think studios just have to do the best that they can and make what they make and and the market will decide if people like it or not but there's this new trend that seems to be emerging where fans feel as if they have the right to just make everything personal and attack the filmmakers Mm -hmm. and like they have some sort of ownership and i think that's all garbage and i hate all of that and listen i'm i'm fine with a full-throated i hate your movie great but it's morphed beyond that into this, you owe me yeah. something from my childhood kind of thing. Change this. Let's sign a petition to, you know, to get oh, the director petitions. fired and all this stuff, yeah. you know. So I, I, I don't that for me in this case, I think it's somewhat harmless because it's Sonic, but it's it's the first step or maybe not the first step, but it's a step towards this happening a lot. And I don't like that trend. Yeah, no, I get that. I think an example of probably a good change with Outcry was back when, which this probably cost a lot of money too in reshoots but when they reshot all of Kevin Spacey's scenes in mm. All the Money in the World when was that that was just a couple years see, ago yeah like two years ago so yeah yeah that one that was the first real major one that I remember happening like they had pretty much finished the movie and then all that you know terrible stuff came out but that's obviously yeah. more of that's also because Ridley Scott <laughs> is crazy and he'll do anything he can just make a movie in five seconds yeah, yeah. and then, yeah, and then deliver us an, an acting nominee at the Oscars which is insane. right but yeah I, I I don't know it's just um I I totally agree with everything you were saying Chad um I definitely don't think studios owe anything and I hate that attitude towards film but I also look look at trailers as kind of another another chance at like a a, a test screening in in mm-hmm. a certain sense you know um sure. if, if you bring a film to a test screening and audiences hate it they're going to make changes if they if they're able. And so when a trailer releases and there's overwhelming hatred for the trailer, I think it's from a financial standpoint wise for Agreed. a studio to make changes. So um, I, I I don't think it's exactly the same thing as listening to fan outrage. Like for instance, mm-hmm. Lucasfilm. I highly doubt is going to make any changes based on the the massive amount of vitriol they received, and that's good because I think a lot of that vitriol is is unsubstantiated even if you you don't like the last jedi so right um it, i think it, it makes decent financial sense for them and like i said that movie looks terrible regardless of the design <laughs> so it doesn't really matter the movie looks right. really bad but mm-hmm. uh you know whatever yeah i think at some point i mean fans are gonna always ask for more and more and more and more and you know I just, I mean, look at all those people that signed that Game of Thrones petition to reshoot the entire final season. Like, there's, yeah, there's just got to be. I'll sign that. I signed it twice. (laughs) (laughs) Get out, get out of here. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I definitely think there's a balance, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see because social media is, you know, each day is just becoming more and more prevalent. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes forward. All right. Well, if y'all don't have any other things to say, just want to say thanks, Chad, for that awesome question and we'll keep looking out and see how studios respond in the future to social media pressure now let's get down to the main event our review of the fast and furious presents hobbs and shaw our target's name is brixton he's a ghost 
we're gonna need the best trackers in the business. Luke Hobbs. I'm what you call an ice cold can of whoop ass. Career lawman, always gets his guy. We're gonna need to operate outside the system. Deckard Shaw. I'm what you might call a champagne problem. Rogue former MI6 agent. Doesn't play well with others. If we stand a chance against Brixton, you guys have to work together. No way. This guy's a real ass. And that was from the trailer of Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. So it's no secret. What movie is this, Daniel? Is this the ninth, the eighth, something? This was it's the a- ninth. The ninth. Mm. It's the ninth film in the in the Fast and Furious franchise. And there's one thing if there is one thing that we've learned about this franchise, it's that somehow it is extremely successful mm-hmm. every <laughs> single mm-hmm. time. It is almost critic proof, although there have been some really solid entries along the way, some that have been critically acclaimed, but the box office continues to roll in. It had a $60 million opening mm-hmm. and $180 million worldwide opening, which is certainly strong. It's going to be interesting, though, because, April, I, I have no idea how you feel about this franchise. Daniel, mm-hmm. if my memory serves mm-hmm. me, he's a little bit kinder towards this series than I am. I think he Hmm. has historically thought that it was just kind of throwaway fun and not that offensive. And you can guess where I've fallen on that spectrum. So it is interesting. This is a spinoff of two recurring characters, uh, two of the more popular characters, obviously, with Hobbs and Shaw. You've got Dwayne The Rock Johnson uh, and Jason Statham reprising their roles. Who? In uh, opposites (laughs) have to work together to overcome kind of scenario with lots of uh, hilarity ensuing. So... My question to you guys will be, and we'll start with Daniel tonight, is just give me a brief overall impression of the series as a whole, and then tell me what you thought about this first spinoff in the uh, Fast and Furious universe. Uh, Chad, I think your memory might be slightly off. Um, I do not... It's possible. I'm old. That is true. (laughs) Uh, I do not, nor have I ever, liked a Fast and Furious film. Um, Mm Yeah. And huh. uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like. Maybe don't, is it Tyler? Is it Ty- your brother Tyler that likes them? Loves this series. Ah, okay, he, he doesn't like them. He loves them, and uh, huh. I will never understand that. His screener's access has been permanently revoked. Yeah, just yeah, on that alone. Yeah, he's gone. So yeah, I mean, I think the new ones, starting with Fast Five, are fine instead of actively bad. But I still, it's just not a series that I that I enjoy. Or see the appeal of. I don't get it. Um, I do remember. I, I I could have sworn. I don't remember who was on the episode. I don't know if it was you and me, Chad, or if it was me and Chris. I thought two of us reviewed um, the last film, The Fate of the Furious. And basically, we, we reviewed the, the film for a short period of time. And then we just spent the rest of the podcast trying to figure it out what, what it is that people see in this franchise. Because I don't get it. I mean, they're fine. Like, I, I understand the appeal of just a big, dumb action movie. But other than that, like, why this series? Why are they all so high-grossing? So I'm still trying to figure that out. And that's why I went to see Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw, other than that we could review it here on this show. And so my, my feelings on Fast and Furious, are, I feel like, are fairly well-documented on this show. Um, the other thing that's well-documented on this podcast is that Dwayne Johnson typically elevates my enjoyment of a movie by at least 20%. So we I, call that the San Andreas effect. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm a big fan of Dwayne Johnson. I think he is just uh, inherently charismatic and uh, usually a lot of fun to watch on screen, even bad movies. 
And so uh, the best thing I can say about this spinoff is that it doesn't take itself as ridiculously seriously as the main series. I mean, it's it, it, the, the thing that I hate the most about Fast and the Furious is how serious they are and mm-hmm. all about family and respect the family. And, and Vin Diesel's <laughs> terrible, too. So um, there's, there's only a little bit of that here. And so that's a big plus. They, they're not as serious. That's a big plus. And there are a few, and by a few, I, I literally mean like two or three fun action sequences here. That, that's, that's a little, I feel like that's a little undeniable. And yes, The Rock's charisma helps the film quite a lot. But but that's about all good I can say about it. I just don't understand the appeal. It's fine and all, but the, the film tries so, so, so hard to be funny. I mean, it's painful how obvious you can feel them try like leaving pauses for laughs that even in an audience that overall I felt like enjoyed this film you could feel these these dead silences where laughs just didn't come um the action is silly and never remotely believable and by that I mean it it doesn't seem believable the visual effects don't look believable it's just dumb uninteresting and completely forgettable so even though the film takes itself less seriously than the rest of the series, it's still full of dialogue that's it's just patently ridiculous, and it's delivered as if it's trying to be this seriously serious or emotional moment, and it just it just never works. The film, in addition to its obvious rejection of physics from beginning to end, is it also just rejects <laughs> any sort of realism. I mean, there's there's this climactic battle towards the end that starts out in the dead of night, it's pitch black. <laughs> No hint of sun. And then it cuts to a shot of a helicopter silhouetted by the rising sun. And then about a minute later, it is full-blown daylight. I mean, it's yeah. it's mm-hmm. afternoon, and it, that all takes place within about two minutes, and there's no time yeah. jump there. But they gave you a, t- a line of dialogue earlier that said, we normally would attack at just at dawn, even though when that fight started, it was definitely not dawn. It was dawn. the dead of night. <laughs> so it's just, it's just so stupid. And so, like, I compare this to the Mission Impossible movies, right, which I love. What? They're, they're both – no, I'm, I'm trying to illustrate – why I don't right. understand this series and why I do love those series. Uh, they're both series with ridiculous action, espionage, spy stuff, all that stuff. So they're like, they kind of share similar DNA, but the Mission Impossible movies actually feel real and grounded. They're shot well with brilliant visual effects and, and typically stunts that are real and actually happen on set um, with real stakes. Uh, and I just don't feel anything like that from, from these movies. I don't, I don't, I don't, I just don't get it. I don't get it. Um, they're fine, I guess. Like, you know, I didn't leave this movie mad. Um, I, there are definitely worse movies this summer. I'm just, I'm just more flabbergasted that this is the ninth film, number one at the box office. It's going to make half a billion dollars or more. And, uh, and I just don't get it. All right. Daniel, still not getting it after all these movies <laughs> and all these years. So let's go to you, April. This is your first review with the screeners in this universe mm-hmm. of the Fast and Furious. So tell us, what is your overall impression of this series as a whole? I think it's been going now. The first film, goodness, it had to be in the 90s, right? I think right? It was 2001, or, I believe. 2001. So, yeah. But we're, looking, we're coming up on almost 20 years, almost two decades of film. So mm-hmm. tell us what your thought is of the franchise as a whole and then uh, what you thought about this most recent entry. So I was in high school, I think, when I first saw my first Fast and Furious film. I don't remember which one it was, but it might have been the first. Yeah. Anyway, I really enjoyed them in high school. I thought they were fun and watched them whenever they came out. Just, I mean, it wasn't my favorite series. They were completely ludicrous, but 
I got enjoyment out of it. Literally, they had ludicrous. Yeah, literally, Luda. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, so but I think it was the sixth one where I just was done uh, mm. when they had that. I think I actually mentioned it uh, on some episode, but that long forty-five minute runway scene with the plane at the very end <laughs> of that film that lasted. Yep. Like, literally 45 minutes, and it just kept going. It was the endless runway. I was like, this is stupid. I'm done. Like, that was it for me. That was, I'm done. So I didn't even see, I didn't see seven, and I didn't see eight. So going into this film, I hadn't seen a trailer, and I don't even. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I didn't, I was very, I mean, I knew The Rock. He had been in previous ones, obviously. But Jason Statham, I don't know if he was in, was he in the sixth one? I don't. I I literally couldn't tell you if my yeah. If he was, it. it was not a big role. But anyway, so I haven't seen him in the in the universe. So this was my first. I yeah. I know. I skipped seven and eight. I just was like, nah. I got better things to do. So I went in with very low expectations because remember, last thing I saw was the, the long runway, and you know, I was actually pleasantly surprised in mm. moments. Um, All right. Uh, I mean, it was stupid and it was cheesy. And first of all, I thought The Rock and Jason Statham, their jokes, like they probably tried to make balls jokes like 10 or 12 times, which Gosh. I didn't think any of them were funny. And let me just say this too. No, there was, I didn't hear a single laugh in my entire theater, but I was also the only person in my theater. So I never <laughs> laughed. <laughs> so, but I, let me tell you who pleasantly surprised me. I thought Vanessa Kirby was excellent. I thought, She's great. I thought the scenes that she were in, she was electrifying. And I, like, I actually really enjoyed her action scenes and her acting. I just thought, yeah, I thought she was great. She, I loved her in The Crown, so I had never seen her in a more action role. So I thought she was great. Well, reminder, um, she was actually in Mission Impossible Fallout, the last Mission Impossible movie. Oh, right. Yeah, so... I only know that because of the trailer, because I didn't see that movie. Whoa. I know. All right, another topic for another time. Yeah, sidebar. Um, yeah, so I thought some of the editing was cool. Um, they did some cool, like, like side split-screen montage stuff that, I, I don't know, was kind of cool. Overall, I thought some of the, the fights, yeah, they've been done before, and they were completely ludicrous and didn't make any sense and were totally unrealistic. But unlike the other Fast and Furious movies, this one didn't take itself too seriously, like you said, Daniel. So I was able to accept it a little more but yeah i yeah i totally agree that i think the comedy was forced but it was still it wasn't my worst movie i saw this summer Hmm. so well that's high praise it's not the worst movie i've seen this (laughs) summer okay that is that's interesting so daniel still doesn't get it and april was pleasantly surprised and for me, I'm going to, I don't remember, Daniel, if I, it was you and I that had that review or if it was you and Chris. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of think it was me and you. Yeah, maybe. Um, and I was, back in back during that review, I was probably even more negative than I just don't get it. I think it, it actively angered me. <laughs> in this series as a whole, I'm not consistently negative on. I think there have been some some entries that have been okay certainly the earlier ones when it was a little more grounded i mean we've mentioned in the past the arc of this series started with street racing and then it ended with you know submarines right Mm -hmm. so as as it's gotten more and more ridiculous 
uh, I've gotten less and less interested at the same time being able to just kind of enjoy it for what it is. And if I'm being honest with this movie, it's not the worst of the bunch. So let's get a few things out of the way first. Number one, this is barely a movie. It's just barely a movie. The plot of this movie (laughs) is so ridiculous. And that's saying something in this franchise. This whole thing about this, and you know, this is light spoilers, but not really. This whole thing about this virus that melts the inside, and uh, we have to contain it, and the way it's contained, and the MacGuffin of how they go from one place to the other. It's just so dumb. It's just, as Chris would say, it's just a series of scenes put together uh, (laughs) to give us an excuse to go from place to place. My bigger problem with this movie, though, is that these characters have been side characters for so long and as as extra spice if you will in other films when they when they appear on the screen it's a breath of fresh air or it's in they interject comedy or a neat action beat the problem with having them both in a movie that's two hours and almost 20 minutes long is that the premise of them hating each other which it's just this rinse and repeat version of They insult each other, they put each other down, then they tell a joke that doesn't really land, and then there's action, and then they go to the next thing. That works in, you know, fits and starts, but two hours and 20 minutes of it, it just grinds Mm -hmm. the whole whole thing down, especially when you have someone like Vanessa Kirby, who I wanted to spend more time with her because Mm -hmm. she was legitimately intriguing. Uh, I love the open. I actually really enjoyed the opening where they introduce the villain and we see her character as well. Uh, and let me also give a shout out to Idris Elba. He's always great. I enjoyed yeah. him as a villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the concept of what they were doing here. Uh, it kind of veers almost into the sci into sci-fi, and I thought that was kind of cool. But none of the action is exciting. I think some of it is novel, and some of it is kind of interesting. Right from the beginning, you realize that this movie does not care about physics or reality. And, you know, there's a scene where they're they're coming down the side of a building and it's the most ridiculous. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. But for me, it wasn't fun. I didn't I didn't get a ton of enjoyment out of that other than, okay, we're going to see, you know, how crazy we can push the limits of, of, you know, what can happen in these scenes. Kids would really like this movie. This seems like a movie when I was 13 or 14 that I would have really enjoyed. Um, And I think if you're already invested in this franchise, you're going to probably enjoy it too. It's just too long. I think the first half of this movie is so boring. I don't understand how this movie could be boring, but it was. And yet... Saying all of that, when these three characters are together, their charisma and their commitment to kind of the silliness of what they know what kind of movie that they're in. They're playing it up. There are a lot of these Spielbergian reaction pushes into their face where they'll look in and give the dramatic line. And I did because of that and because it's so silly, I didn't hate this movie. I really didn't. I will never, ever, ever watch this movie again. Uh, and I don't know that I can recommend that anybody else should watch it. But overall, I think the experience of watching it was okay. Certainly not the worst of the bunch. And so I'm going to have to almost not completely embrace it like April has said as far as surprised enough to say that I liked it. But I was surprised enough to say that this was something and that I think is worthy of its existence as a spinoff. And I think that fans will like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fine. Like I, 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 it's, I just don't even know what else to say about it. I'm going to forget about this movie in, in like 10 minutes after we, after we're done recording, For after sure. the episode yeah. posts, 
I'm done with this movie and we'll never watch it again and we'll never think about it again. It didn't. Um, it didn't have the same feel as the Fast and Furious. Like if I, I agreed. Like it didn't. Yeah, it didn't feel like a Fast and Furious movie. So it just felt kind of like its own thing. So I mean, I yeah, it wasn't terrible. It was. There were moments that were good. Ball's yeah, jokes could have been toned down a bit, but <laughs> there were lots of there were, were lots of scrotal jokes. Although <laughs> one of them I thought was somewhat humorous. I can't remember what set it up now, but it was something about dragging them across glass. I thought that was oh, kind yeah. of funny. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It is that. That's what I mean by kids. I think like 13 and 14 mm-hmm. year old kids will like this. Is especially boys because it's very juvenile. It's yeah. very juvenile humor. Well, I don't think we're going to do, I don't think this movie necessarily warrants a full-blown spoiler section, but we are going to talk some specifics about some cameo appearances as well as some plot details. So if you don't want to be spoiled on those, you probably should skip ahead about five to six minutes uh, to our top three segment because now we're going to jump into that. So April, what were you saying? Yes, I was saying that I actually thought Ryan Reynolds in this was really funny. Um, I was not expecting him to be in it, but... I don't know. Ryan Reynolds always makes me laugh. I don't know. I'm like, here's the thing. Ryan Reynolds is undeniably funny, but he's always the exact same character, character. the exact same delivery of jokes, the exact same humor style. So like, it's funny, but I've also seen it now like a dozen times. So I, I don't know. It's not really funny to me anymore. Like the, the whole shtick, it was funny and, I don't know. I'm just kind of over Ryan Reynolds, I think. I I agree with you to the extent, Daniel, that I think for me, at least in this performance, it moved from funny into cute, Mm -hmm. meaning that I get what he's doing. I get that character because we've seen variations of it in every other thing that he's done. But... Yeah, no, I don't really have anything else to say about it. Yeah, (laughs) it's just kind of like, yeah, it's just kind of cute. Whatever, I get it. The other cameo... um, I guess we're in light spoilers, so the, the, the cameo from, from Kevin Hart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually thought that one was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah because I it, that. Because it, yeah. compl- it felt like it was in a completely different movie, um, mm-hmm. which was great. You know, another another not respecting reality sort of thing was, did you guys notice that? So he's on the plane. This whole movie takes place within, like, what, two days or something like that? Yeah. Um, and So he's on the plane with him, and he's got kind of longer hair. And then when he calls him towards the end of the movie, his head was shaved. Um, so he got I guess, a haircut, I guess Daniel. He just got a haircut, He man. said That's he's all. got flights all day. He's busy. He's in the fart box all day, you know? Like, anyway, it's it just stupid. But he, I thought he was funny in the role, for sure. That must have been a fast plane from Moscow to Samoa. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really did enjoy, and I do think we should talk about, the theme of family is still prevalent in this series. Uh, and you get it really heavy-handedly when you get to the Samoan stuff at the end. But that in this real corny kind of hyper real environment, that stuff kind of works where you've got the mama who's making all of her boys get back together. And it may be just because I have five brothers, so I completely relate to that entire scene. None of the action was good, but I do like I do like and I think to answer your question earlier, Daniel, about not understanding why they're so popular even though it's heavy handed with the themes of family and being loyal and true to the people that are true to you. I think that common thread is what really resonates with a lot of people. And they view these characters as part of their family as well. Mm -hmm. That's gotta be the only, I can't think of any other reason. So anything Mm -hmm. else we want to talk about before we, uh, before we jump to our top three? Did y'all stay for the end credit scene? 
I did. Both of them. You know there are two, right? Yeah. Three. I stayed till the very end. Three. Yeah. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> I felt like such a loser because I was in there by myself. So, And the cleaning people were just in there watching me watch the, <laughs> the incredible scene. <laughs> They're like, man, this girl loves her Fast and Furious. Anyway. Yeah, that, that middle scene where it's Ryan Reynolds and he's talking about the first the first virus melts you on the inside, the next one melts you on the out. It's like, okay, we've just given up. We've totally given up here. Uh, there are a lot of Game of Thrones references in this movie. That I thought yes. Were... Oh, now that was actually really funny. Yeah, I that thought was that actually was funny. really funny. Yeah, I didn't get it, obviously. Um even though it's full of spoilers. Um, <laughs> and, and so obviously they're, they're setting up for a sequel and I'm sure Ryan Reynolds and Kevin Hart are going to be on the team and that's fun and all. And maybe that'll add to my enjoyment. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't get it. They're, they don't offend me. They're fine. Like uh, there are definitely worse movies this summer, but I don't know. Now, speaking of potentially better movies, um, Vanessa Kirby is rumored to uh, be be wanted for Catwoman in Matt Reeves' Batman, and Ooh. that is an effort that I fully support because yep. she's awesome mm-hmm. and she's yeah she's a really great actress. I so. fully support anything that Matt Reeves is doing. That's so. true. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go around the horn and give our recommendations before we jump into our top three. So, Daniel, I think we have an idea, but we'll we'll give you a chance to answer anyway. So, should people see this in the theater? Should they rent it? Should they wait and, and watch it on an existing service that they pay for, or should they skip it altogether? No, no. Uh, you should not <laughs> see this in theaters. No. I think, at best, you can watch this on a streaming service in the background while you're doing dishes, and you can lightly look over at some of the explosions and some of the ball jokes and and uh, and smile quietly to yourself <laughs> at best um, at best you can do of that the ball jokes. <laughs> so that's that's where this movie belongs it's it's going to be in rotation on fx it's that type of movie you're you're flipping through and there's a movie on fx you're like oh all right i didn't see this one all right sure i'll i'll turn this one on all right so at best look over your shoulder while doing dishes okay all right, April, same question. Where do you think uh, this falls on the scale? Yeah, I think if you are a Fast and the Furious fan and you've seen all the others in theaters, this one will not disappoint you. I think I think it does exactly what it set out to do. So in that sense, it's good. Um, but if you just want a quality film, I would just meh, just stream it. <laughs> Wait for it okay. to be on streaming service, so- yeah. Wait on streaming, so that's two that are next to the bottom tier, almost a skip. Mm-hmm. Oh man, yeah. For me, I'm the same way. I, I I would be I would be very disappointed if I rented this, and I would probably fall asleep or check emails or something if I did because it's so long. Mm-hmm. But to April's point, if you're invested in the franchise, or if you're just looking for a, a ridiculous action film. On a Friday night and you want to rent something, you could do worse. So I'm going to go just a little more positive, which I did not expect from tonight. But I'm <laughs> going to say it's probably... No, it's not. It's not rental worthy. It's, it's not. not. It's really you couldn't not. couldn't do I, it. I you really tried. I, I tried. I tried <laughs> to climb that mountain. I just couldn't make myself do it. So 
Um, so if you like this movie, great. But the the consensus among the screeners tonight is just wait until it comes out on Netflix or Amazon or wherever it, it may be streaming, and then try and give it a shot there. You know, so, you know. Before we dive into our top three, we we can't we can't move forward without mentioning two things about Jason Statham and Vanessa Kirby's characters. First of all, they're 19 years. There's a 19 year age difference between the two of them, and and uh, this this film portrays them as being actually sorry 21 year age difference film (laughs) portrays them as being kids at the same time so that's true (laughs) that's a lot of fun and there was also a great deal of sexual tension between those characters um a lot of a lot of sexual tension you know they did reference game of thrones a lot though there you go that makes a lot of sense Maybe there. it's a twist for the next mm. for the next uh, installment. Ooh, Maybe gonna it's go there. not really. It's not. <laughs> this okay. Now I'm interested. This sounds like a movie I want to see. Uh, yeah, incest fil- blockbusters really, really is exactly what Chad wants from the That's summer. That's it. <laughs> All right, and on that note, let's jump to our top three. Three, two, one. The top three. Ladies and gentlemen, we are diving into our top three actor duos. Hobbs and Shaw is obviously a pairing of two well-known action stars, Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham. And so we're going to talk about not movies for our top three this time, but actor pairings. All right. So um, interpret that however you want. Your top three actor duos. All right. So we are going to go around the horn. We're going to start with our number three. So we will start with April. Who is your number three favorite actor duo okay so i kind of was in the more vein of comedy in my head so i and number three is a real toss-up and after we get to honorable mentions i'll tell you the one that didn't make it but my number three is nick frost and simon pegg from the world's end hot fudge Shaun of the dead all those edgar wright films yes i think they are brilliant together and they just make me laugh continuously Ooh, that is a solid pick. I honestly didn't even think of that one. That might have made my list had I thought of it. That is a great, great pick. Nice. Uh, all right, Chad, what is Very your good. number three? Favorite? I hated this top three because <laughs> when I started when I started to put it together, I realized there were so many different ways yes. to interpret this yes. thing. I was like, so is this, you know, is this the two best performances of <laughs> actors in a movie together? Or is this two characters in a movie that I love together and therefore like the movie? Or is this characters that have, or actors that have played in multiple movies together? All of that. So it frustrated me to no end. And <laughs> yes. so what's your criteria? The, so I don't know that I ever found one. <laughs> so I just wrote, I just started taking notes and started doing a little research and just wrote down everything that I, that I thought, oh man, just kind of take this for what, for what it is. So I think ultimately what I ended up trying to do or what I first started trying to do was try to pick just actors that were, that gave two really great performances together and they and then playing off of each other was kind of central to the film, but that didn't work very well for me. That said, I'm still going to go with my number three using that criteria, um, and that is Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman in Doubt. Mm. It's mm. one of those, it's not an easy watch. It's not, you know, when you say best, or it does, certainly makes you doesn't make you happy, but when I just think about two performances that are, that are tied together in a film that are just at an 11 in the best way, that one, that one leapt to my mind. Nice. Nice. Okay. That's definitely a great movie. Great performances. Um, All right. So for my number three actor duo, 
well, first my criteria. Uh, I, I agree. This this top three was uh, a little <laughs> difficult because um, I didn't know where to go with it. But what I settled on is uh, just just pairings that I really enjoyed, that I enjoy the performances, but also pairings uh, actors who who appeared in multiple films together. So they had to at least appear in two films or more together in order to make my list, so that they could kind of be an established duo of sorts. Gotcha. And so, um, so that's kind of where I came from. So for my number three, I was also in the comedy vein here. And uh, now disclaimer, I never watched their latest pairing uh, when they were in Holmes and Watson last year. But <laughs> I settled on Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. Um, man, yeah. they, they just in Talladega Nights was great. But then especially Step Brothers. These guys are so funny to play off each other well. It's such a Step Brothers is such a great example of those like 2000s improv comedies that yeah. have barely mm-hmm. any plot. They just ride on the improv skills of the leads. And uh, and this is one of the best ones. And so mm-hmm. I almost Agreed. went with Seth Rogen and James Franco for like similar reason because yeah. it's the no, same sort of thing. you made the right choice yeah, though, I think. I, I agree. And so, yeah. And we also forget that John C. Riley is an Oscar nominee he in 2002 he appeared in three of the five best picture nominees so like he's he's got skills he's legit and uh and yeah so he and he and will ferrell just work really well together so that is my number three actor duo uh all right april what is your number two okay so i did not go with the had to be in multiple films i was originally going that route but there were just so many i was i was seriously was struggling (laughs) so hardcore because i was like well well, crap. Um, anyway, so what I, how I kind of did it is I just thought, okay, if there was a movie playing and these two actors were in it and there was a list of all these two actors, which film would I choose to see just based on the two together? So with that being said, my number two is they're only in one film together, but it is probably one of the funniest films I have ever seen. And it's Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock in hmm. The Heat. Okay. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, I think uh that was kind of the the end of Melissa McCarthy's like streak of her hit comedies. Um but uh yeah, I, I, it was a good one. I can still okay, and maybe I'm the only one that just loves that film, but I I like had tears from laughing so hard <laughs> in that movie. Like and I can watch it and still laugh. So anyway. No, that is a gen- I, I agree. That's a funny movie. That is a good that's a funny movie that's for good. sure. Nice. All right, Chad, what's your number two pick? Well, after my number three pick, I threw that formula right out the window because I didn't. <laughs> I realized it wasn't sustainable. So I went back to picking films that just had two really good performances in it, um, and I tried to do the thing where they had multiple films with varying success. So I just need to get to honorable mention so I can just list all these. But um, I think where I landed for my number two was. Tom Hanks and Tim Allen in Toy Story. Hmm. Um, And that is because I think the Toy Story uh, franchise now, it's more than just a trilogy, is one of the finest we've ever had as far as just quality. And outside of the fourth one, which kind of sidelines Tim Allen's character, I think the the central relationship between Tom Hanks and Tim Allen has been uh, crucial to that. And I and I love it. So Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. Yeah, that's nice. good. That's I, good I wasn't on the Toy Story 4 episode, but I definitely was a little bit disappointed in how they sidelined all yep. the the characters yeah. Yeah. Uh, other than Woody and um, and the newer characters. Um, yep. This definitely felt like a spinoff, so it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, still enjoyable, though. Uh, awesome. Great pick. 
Um, so for my number two pick, again, going with criteria of, of acting in multiple movies together, I picked uh, two of the greatest working actors today. They're, that's why I, I picked them at, at uh, number two here. And that's Amy Adams and Christian Bale. They uh, mm. they were in The Fighter, American Hustle, yeah. and Vice together. Yeah. And I don't actually love American Hustle or Vice. I do love The Fighter. But just seeing two of the best of the best actors we have alive today going you know, toe-to-toe, acting off each other in, in all these films, it's just it's kind of remarkable to watch, watch them go to work. And so... Um, and they were not Oscar nominated for all three of those films, both of them. And so, yeah, I just think they are uh, phenomenal and a great pair, and I think they work well together. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I love The Fighter. I, I liked American Hustle, and I did not like Vice at all. But I thought that the I, it's true that their work in all of those films is remarkable. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. All right, back to April. We are to mm. our number one picks. Yes. So what's your number one actor duo? Okay. Well, I feel kind of dumb right now because y'all went very much more critically acclaimed than I did. I, <laughs> I'm very much in the just comedy duos, whatever. So y'all are going to laugh at me because this is totally not the same quality as what y'all are saying at all. But with that being said, I think this is pro- I've probably seen this pair in this specific movie more times than any other movie. I don't know if this will say anything about me or not, but that is Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. <laughs> of course. Dumb and nice. dumber. Yeah. Nice. Nobody can hate on that bit. Nobody. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Did you like the newest one? No, I didn't. And I actually thought because <laughs> I didn't like it that I shouldn't do this. But I was like, no, I have to, I have to, you know, young April, you know, love this film. I got to give it to her. And I, and adult April too. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, uh, that is a, a solid pick. I cannot begrudge the Dumb and Dumber love. Um, yeah, that's as iconic a comic duo as, as we have in the last, you know, 25 years. Mm-hmm. Well, yep, thank you for great. not making me feel dumb and dumber. Dun-dun. Wow. Hey, well, now I will. Uh, all right, Chad, what's your number one pick? My number one pick, I decided to go away again from my rules and <laughs> pick a film that only they, they were only in one film together, but it was my one of my favorite pairings of these two actors. And when I when I mentioned the first one, you're gonna think I'm going a certain direction, but I'm not. It's it's Matt Damon and not Ben Affleck, but it's Matt Damon and Robin Williams in Goodwill Hunting. Mm. Mm. Uh, I just think that the two of those those two performances are firing and the resultant is obviously an Academy Award for Robin Williams but uh, and screenwriting as well for Matt Damon, but the performances are electric. The movie is phenomenal. It's one of my favorite movies in my top ten of all time. And so that pairing specifically, I think, is, is an all-time great. Nice. Yeah, uh, that is uh, undeniable. Uh, just one of the best movies of all time, some of the best performances of all time. It's great. Mm-hmm. Solid, solid pick. And totally in violation of the rules of this top three, I'm sure, but I'll get, I'll get back to you on the honorable mentions. Hey, you know, we make our own <laughs> rules here. We make our own rules. Um, just because I think that doesn't remotely qualify for this top three, that doesn't mean <laughs> exactly. it's an invalid pick. <laughs> to be fair, I picked it, and I don't think it qualifies. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. Uh, so here we go. My number one actor duo. Uh, actually, Chad, specifically, I want to give you one guess at my pairing. 
Who do you think it I is? I know who it's going to be. It's going to be freaking Ryan Gosling and whatever That's in La La Land. absolutely who it is. Ryan I Gosling knew it. and Emma God. Stone. Uh, they've been in three movies together, and two of those are honestly in my top 20 films of all time. Um, I love so Crazy Stupid Love and La La Land so much. Both those films are incredible. Um, and their performances in both are great. Obviously, better in La La Land than Crazy Stupid Love, but still uh, great in both. They just, the two of them have like this undeniable chemistry, the natural rapport. Um, they, they, are, they are the, are, a large majority of the reason why I love La La Land so much, just because the two of them are so good together. They are. And I think they're just phenomenal actors, both. Um, I am in the apparent minority that uh, Emma Stone deserved her Oscar for La La Land, um, but I stand my ground on that, and and I just I think the two of them are great. I hope they make more movies together, and I, I hope I love them just as much as two of their other films. So there you go. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'm on the Emma Stone bandwagon for sure. Ryan Gosling is hit or miss for me, but I think Emma Stone is pretty pretty great. All right. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take what I can get. April, what is your standing on La La Land? It's, yes. it's, it's a contentious topic here. <laughs> um, I, I enjoyed it. I'll take it. It wasn't my favorite of the year. So, April, would you say things like it's one of the greatest films ever made? Is that a stretch for you? Yes. Oh, that would be okay. A That's I just wanted to get clarification. A, That's all. But I will say it is a very good film. I thoroughly enjoyed it. But no, yeah, it was. It wasn't. I mean, you're entitled. Daniel to your has own an opinion. unhealthy love for it, an unhealthy love for that film. But it's okay. It, it's, we love Daniel. It's okay. It's fine. It's it's uh, undeniably the best film of the decade, and so we'll just go from Undeniably. That's uh, a strong so word. With, with that, uh, Daniel's love for that movie makes me like it less. I know because it does. It, it was in my sad. top ten that year. It was my number seven <laughs> film of the year. But Daniel loves it so much, it just makes me want to just kick it away, but I can't. It, it is a good movie. It's, it's a, a good, good movie. I'll take it. As like, Remove the hyperbole, I'll take Uh, Awesome. So uh, let's move. But I wasn't joking about it. It is the best movie of the decade. Anyway, so um, (laughs) let's move to our honorable mentions. What do you guys have? Chad, do your honorable mentions make any more sense than your list does? Yes. (laughs) So my honorable mentions were I had Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker in the Rush Hour movies. I think those are great. great. I love those movies. I had John Travolta and uh, Samuel L. Jackson for Pulp Fiction, although that's yeah, that's probably more credit to the film than yeah. that. I had Brad Pitt and George Clooney from the for the, the Oceans franchise because mm-hmm. I love those movies and love them in it. And then, of course, I did have Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. I'm showing yes, my age here because yes. they went good. on a murderer's row of romantic comedies mm-hmm. back in the day that were just wonderful. That's Absolutely. all great picks. All great picks. Love it. Uh, April, what are your honorable mentions? Yeah, so I had Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg from okay. Other Side and Daddy's yeah. Home. Yeah, pretty funny. okay. Nice. And I actually, Seth Rogen, James Franco, I not many people love it, but I love Pineapple Express. That oh, movie. it's so good. Oh, man. So I love Pineapple I Express. It's great. It. Yeah, hilarious. And then I don't know if y'all ever saw that movie, but Paul Rudd and Sean William Scott in Role Models. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah, good. Role Models, it's one of my favorite comedies all time. Wow. It's so it. good. I l- adore that movie. Anyway, no, I, I, there's no story. That speaks volumes of you, Chad. So, like, I understand you more because I love that movie, too. I adore that movie. Yeah. I almost went serious and said Elijah Wood and Sean Astin mm. um, for Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. Frodo nice. and Sam. But I was like, mm, 
I was just staying at the comedy. You know what? I almost put Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn, except for the extras that are in the background of some of the movies that they're in are just wow. really terrible. Wow. That's a personal attack. Uh, for those who don't know, I was in the internship, but wow. Okay. <laughs> nice. Those are, all, those are all good picks, especially the last ones. Uh, so for my honorable mentions, I had some of the ones you guys have already mentioned, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, Seth Rogen and James Franco. Um, I also have some serious ones like uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Amy Adams from The Master and, uh, and yeah. Her. Um, yeah. Diane Keaton and Woody Allen, but we kind of don't talk about that right now. And then I almost had in my list, but I thought it felt like it was too similar to Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. I had Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence, um, mm. mainly just for Silver Linings Playbook, just because they're great, yeah. but also American Hustle and that random one that they made together. So, yeah, uh, so those are all my honorable mentions. Um, There you go. That's a great list. Nice. You're listening to the Screeners Podcast. All right, everyone, that wraps up our top three actor duos, plus a few more in our honorable mentions. And it also wraps up this episode. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Hobbs and Shaw. I'm ready to put that movie out out of my life. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode more than we enjoyed the film. All right, we will see you next time. And that's a wrap. You've heard what the screeners had to say. Now you be the critic. Head over to screenerspodcast.com and let us know what you think. See you next time.